This morning, we're going to read the whole of Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favour and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline nor weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and an adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your, in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbour, go and come again, tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbour who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favour. The wise will inherit honour, but fools get disgrace. So far the reading. Now, I'd just like to welcome Caleb to the pulpit now. Caleb's at the RTC, and he's uh, been good enough to bring the word to us this morning. So welcome, Caleb. Thank you. (coughs) 
I wonder if uh, you guys have heard of the trust fall game, or at least that's the definition that I know it as. What you do is uh, you cross your arms and you fall back. I'm not going to do it, but you fall back uh, and someone would be behind you and they'd catch you as you fall. Uh, It's a great uh, game to play at kids' camps um, and even on a few um, employee team-building retreats I've had to do it before with adults. The idea is to see how much you trust the other person or how trustworthy uh, the other person is um, by falling into their arms uh, with them behind you, moving away each time you fall and they catch you until you're as low as you can go and before you step back and go, oh, I can't do it, or they drop you. And so the game brings out different sides of people that you might not expect. There's the one person that doesn't trust themselves to fall back, which is generally me, and I fall and put my foot behind to stop me from falling. There's the person who doesn't trust themselves enough to actually catch the person, and they don't want to do it, or they need a couple of other people really uh, encouraging them. There's the one who couldn't be trusted to catch, as they think it's funny just to watch someone fall to the ground. And there's the one that's trusted so implicitly, that trusts so implicitly that they just fall back no matter what, expecting to be caught. It's a game all about trust. And really, it could be broken into two simple groups, those who trust and those who don't. In Proverbs, trust is a vital quality that is spoken spoken about throughout the entire book. The book has this ebb and flow between two types of people. You have the wicked and the wise. Each chapter goes back and forth, showing the ways that the wise, uh, the way in which those who are wise act and those who are wicked act. And we see this pattern in uh, Proverbs 3. It unpacks that the way of the wise looks like uh, what it looks like. Speaking of attributes such as steadfast love, faithfulness, sound teaching, humility, submission to God, and trust. Proverbs 3 is incredibly rich, as you just heard, as was read by Andrew, uh, and the whole chapter is just full of amazing um, themes. And ideally, I'd love to spend a few weeks going through talking about each of these themes that I mentioned, but today I'm just going to focus on trust, specifically looking at verses 5 and 8. So looking through this passage, we will ask ourselves three questions. The first is, can God really be trusted? The second, what, uh, how do we trust? And the third one is, what happens when we do trust him? So let's answer that first question. Can God really be trusted? It seems in today's culture that trust is such a precious commodity. Uh, people are so sceptical and cynical of everyone around them You have politicians that seem to be abusing uh, their power and people don't like that and they say, we can't trust these people that are leading our country. Uh, People think that you're scamming them when you're trying to help them on the street with things. Stranger danger is at an all-time high. And growing up, um, I used to be in a street that had a lot of kids that were my age and we would spend hours and hours and every day after school uh, with these kids from our street would just waltz into their house and say hi and in and out and would go to the playgrounds, would go to the ovals, all places that our parents 
couldn't see us, they couldn't hear us, and they didn't really know where we were. Uh, we didn't have mobile phones at that time either. But now, though, you can't do that. You can't leave kids at playgrounds by themselves. You have to uh, walk them into public toilets, and you have to go around and check the neighbours and see that they're the all right kind of folk uh, before you let your kids play with them. It seems that we've become less trustworthy and less trusting. And this can translate to our relationship with God. I was listening to a review of a new movie the other day called Silence. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. Uh, the basic plot that I won't really spoil is that <clears throat> two young uh, 17th century Jesuit priests travel to Japan to spread the gospel and encounter some serious challenges and persecution along the way. These reviewers who weren't Christians just could not comprehend that um, this was something that people would want to do, that they'd want to go and sacrifice uh, the life that they had to spread the gospel um, and send themselves into this situation. They couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that these priests trusted in this God that they saw as fake and that the importance of spreading this fictional God's message and that they were willing to possibly die to achieve it. So you and I have to ask ourselves, can God really be trusted like these Jesuit priests seem to believe he could? That they trusted him and they went into a very dangerous and unknown territory. Can God be trusted beyond a shadow of a doubt, come what may? And the answer is simple, really. It's a yes. But allow me to unpack that yes. Uh, Jerry Bridges has a book and it's called Trusting God. And in that he writes the following. The scriptures teach us three essential truths about God. Truths we must believe if we are to trust him. They are that God is sovereign, God is infinite in wisdom, and that he is perfect in love. And we see this play out throughout the entire Bible, don't we? Uh, it gives us examples of God's complete sovereignty, his wisdom, and his love. These three attributes mesh together and form the backbone of a trustworthy God. We have stories from the fall to the covenant with, uh, with Abraham, to promises with David, to Christ's birth, to his death and resurrection, uh, God has fulfilled every single promise that he set. If I was to quote all these promises, we'd run out of time this morning, and that doesn't even count the individual smaller promises or uh, words that God makes to the Israelites throughout the whole Old Testament. If I were to go through those, we'd be here for an even longer time. But there are many verses that speak of trusting God. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 2 Samuel 7 says, Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Psalm 9, Those who know your name, trust in it, for you, O Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. But now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine, Isaiah says. And the greatest evidence we have to trust God 
is, of course, Christ. That Christ made this covenant with, Abraham, uh, with Adam all the way back in Genesis 3. That though Adam and Eve disobeyed God's direct decree not to eat the fruit, God showed his love and mercy by promising there will come a day where a man will come and pay the punishment that was meant for Adam and Eve and that's meant for you and I. Then we read in the New Testament, Christ is born in a miraculous way. He lives a perfect life and fulfills that exact promise that God made to Adam and Eve in the exact way that was spoken all throughout Scripture. Christ dies for us. He defeated sin and the hold that the devil had. Christ knew that his Father is sovereign and listened to his will. He trusted God. Because God is sovereign, it means that he knows things that we don't, of course. It means that he can see things that we can't. It's like a kid that is only so tall. He can only see so far ahead of him. Obstacles that come in his way, he can't see over. As a parent, you're taller, you can see a lot more. You can look into the distance and see the potholes of life that come, the dangers and the struggles. God is like that parent who's able to see over all of those dangers, able to see the future. And in fact, he doesn't just see the future, he makes it. It's in his wisdom and his sovereignty that we're able to trust. And if you don't believe me, just read your Bible. Read Proverbs. It's full of God's wisdom that he imparts to us. Wisdom we can trust because he loves us and looks out for us. God is giving us every chance to trust him. He is saying, I know the best way to go throughout this life. Put your trust in me. I won't let you down. Read my words in the Bible. Look at the lives of those that have put their trust in me. Learn from their experiences. And as well as looking at your, at your Bible, look at your own life. Think about times uh, that you were in a pothole of life and you didn't know which way to go, how to get out. You were struggling, and then you put your faith and your trust in God. You let him have control. How did that go for you? I know in my own life, when I've trusted God, in my darkest hours, times I don't know what to do or where to go, that God was there. And when I trusted his sovereignty, his wisdom, and his love, that I could deal with that situation in ways that I never previously could. My struggles go away instantly? No. But I was far better off trusting God and trusting myself. So again, can God really be trusted? Absolutely. God is the ultimate trustful partner. When we cross our arms and fall, uh, we fall into his arms. He has the strongest arms that will never drop you. And at times it might feel like you're falling and falling and falling and that you might hit the ground, but before you do, he'll catch you. He might be testing you to see how much you really trust him if you, if you believe that he's got those arms that will hold you will, you. will you put your foot back before he catches you, trying to stop yourself from being hurt, or will you let God hold you? So we've seen that God can be trusted, and as I've been telling you this, you may be nodding and agreeing and saying, yes, yes, I agree, of course, I, I trust that God, 
uh, I trust God, like you say. But knowing and doing are two different things. Living everyday life and putting your trust into practice is a difficult thing. Often we find it hard to really fall back into those arms of God. This brings us to our second point. How do we trust God? So read with me these uh, few verses from Proverbs 3, starting at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So here's the answer to our question, how do we trust God? With all our heart. Don't think that you can do it alone. In everything we do, we do it under God, submitting to him. And again it says, don't think that you can do it alone. Fear God and reject sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I raise my eyebrows and I sigh. I find it easy to say and a lot harder to do. I often think I can do it alone. In fact, we're encouraged by the culture around us to do it with everyone's favourite New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you're into New Year's resolutions. My family kind of have a veto against mentioning resolutions because we say we're never going to do them, so we just have ideas. Uh, But some of those ideas or those resolutions might be to uh, get fit, might be to study harder, to work harder, to work less, to eat better, to have more time with family or more vacations, to serve more, be a better friend or make new friends. At this time, often uh, social media uh, is covered with uh, super inspirational quotes that everyone loves to throw around, quotes that get you pumped and fired up uh, on January 1, ones that uh, say, believe in yourself, uh, you can do it, you can be the change you want to be, you have the power. But often these resolutions might last for a little bit, but they fall by the wayside when we get back into the humdrum of life. We fail and we often just give up and let them go. And that's the attitude that we can take with our entire lives, that you can uh, spend time on you, that you can trust no one else but you. If you want to see the change, then you have to be the change and no one else is worth helping. As Christians, we can take this into our spiritual lives as well. We try to succeed. We try to accomplish all these goals to read your Bible more, to pray more regularly, to be a good church member. These goals are not necessarily wrong, uh, but the hard truth is that when we look at ourselves to execute these uh, resolutions or these ideas, that these spiritual goals that we have, we fail. Time and time again, we stumble and we don't succeed. And as verse 5 says, we're leaning on our own understanding. And verse 7 says again, we're being wise in our own eyes. One of my jobs I had before I moved to Geelong was I made pillows and cushions. I had this uh, big uh, machine that I'd have to um, pump through the fluff, I guess we'll call, 
and uh, into a massive silo, fill up the, uh, the pillow slips. Um, but what would happen is that it would get stuck along the way. And I didn't really know. I'm not an engineer. Um, my boss was, and he built the whole thing. And I didn't really know how to fix it. But that didn't stop me from trying. So, so often I would try and get in there and rip everything apart and take this out and change this and tighten this screw. And more often than not, it actually just made the situation worse and it stressed me out more. Um, instead of I just could have gone and gotten my boss, he could have come and said, oh, yeah, you needed to flick this switch or the emergency stop was on. You just need to turn that off. But I didn't know that and I didn't ask for help. I just wanted to do it all by myself. But if I had asked for help, it would have caused me a lot less pain and suffering and taken a lot less time. We think that we know how to do things. We think that we're strong enough to do them, but we aren't. As I mentioned earlier, we see this when we go through our struggles. For myself, one of the greatest struggles so far in my life has been moving to Geelong and studying um, at college after never having doing study before. At the beginning, I tried to do it all on my own. I tried to get into study, not take advice from people, um, not really seek relationships or friends like that. I thought, no, nah, I'm going to focus. I'm going to do this. I can prove to myself that I can do it. I tried to lean on my own understanding and doing what I thought was wise in my own eyes. Well, that was a massive fail. I trusted myself. I did a trust fall and I tried to turn around and catch myself, which of course is impossible and you can't do. And that's just one example from my life and I'm sure you can think of some from your own. Times you weren't trusting God with all your heart. You had one foot back stopping you from falling and completely into his arms. When we go through trials, we need to look at God. We need to submit to him. Fear him shun evil, shun sin, turn from our selfish desires to do it on our own and to be our own hero. Uh, we aren't heroes and we aren't saviours. We need a hero and we need saving. What does trusting God with all your heart submitting to him look like? looks like giving your worries and your stress to God. It's handing over the unknown future into a God that knows the future. It's praying to God to catch you when you fall back. What it isn't, though, is just completely giving up. It isn't giving it to God, uh, giving it to God and completely giving up are two very different things. We're able to submit to him and God will make our path straight, but that's a path for us to follow. It requires action on our part. We aren't just to throw up our hands and say, well, it's in God's hand, and just sit there and do absolutely nothing about our situations. We must trust God, listen to what he says, and then go and live out in that faith. Verse 6 says, In all your ways, acknowledge him. This covers the whole area of your life, spiritual and physical, public and private. We aren't to trust God only when things are going well, nor only turn to him when things are going wrong. In all your ways, it's more than just a head knowledge that we can recite and that we know. It also means 
Uh, it's a living knowledge, a living proof that we truly believe what we're saying. It also means that when we do get out of these situations, that when we do make a wise decisions, we don't start praising ourselves. We don't pat ourselves on the back and go around saying, man, did you see what I did? I dominated that. And growing our ego. Know that it wasn't you. It was God. Acknowledge it. Praise God and thank him for it. Worship him for being a faithful and listening father. Go around and tell people of how God caught you when you were falling backwards. Share with others the way to trust him so they can enjoy in his goodness too. So we know that we can trust God. We know how to trust him. Let's look at what happens when we do. So these three verses, uh, I'll read again, and they speak of three things that happen when we give up control. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So the three things it speaks of are God will make our path straight, that there'll be healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. This sounds like pretty great reasons to trust God. Straight paths, healings, refreshments, what great blessings these are. But sadly, I don't think they mean exactly what you think they do. When it talks of straight paths, it's it's not talking about smooth sailing. It's not saying you'll have a great life filled with worldly success and joy and peace. Rather, it's saying that when you trust God to lead you down your path of life, it is actually that, that you're trusting him to lead you. He will be there, right there beside you. He's making sure that we're going on the right path. Trusting God breeds wisdom. It breeds a life that lives for his glory and not our own. means that when you're directed on that path that God has for you, a straight path that ultimately will lead to eternal life with him in heaven. It's a life with a goal. It's a path with a goal. One that we're continually working towards. The rest of Proverbs 3 that was read shows us what that life looks like. It's a life that honours God, submits to discipline, is faithful and loving, that is humble and serving, that is one for God's glory and not our own. Verse 8 speaks of the healing of flesh and refreshment to our bones. It's widely commented that this is not speaking of a physical healing, uh, though that might be a product of trusting God. Rather, it is talking of a more metaphorical healing expression, a complete spiritual health which shall come from fearing the Lord uh, and departing from the evil. Some Bibles may translate it as health to your navel, like an umbilical cord. Uh, When a baby's in the womb, its only source of nutrients and sustenance comes from the umbilical cord that's connected to the mother. When verse 8 speaks of the same thing, it goes hand in hand with the earlier verses of trusting God with all your heart, your very being. That this is essentially uh, goes to the soul of who we are in believers. That with it, 
it feeds all of our soul and strengthens all of our lives. That trusting God is a requirement to have a healthy relationship with God. When it says refreshment to our bones, again, other translations may have it as marrow to my bones. Uh, That is making the bones healthy and strong to cope with life. Again, our spiritual lives are the same. When we trust God, follow him, it becomes our support and strength and our salvation. When we trust God, this is what happens. Our problems don't go away completely. It doesn't mean that our lives will get any easier. But what it does mean is that we're able to cope with them when these struggles come. That instead of trying to do everything on our own, we let God take control. We let go of the wheel. In trying to settle in Geelong, as I did, I, and figuring out how to study, trying to do it by myself was just impossible, exhausting and stressful. I wasn't achieving those mid-year resolutions that I'd set myself. I was letting myself down. I was trying to do it all by myself and failing, and I needed to trust God. And not just with a little bit for a little while, but with my whole heart in all my ways in my life, I needed to acknowledge him. And I've started to do that. And this is what has happened. I'm still in Geelong. I'm still studying. I'm still working through my struggles, but this time I'm not alone. I'm with God. Instead of believing my own ego and holding tight to my own worries and stressing myself out, I bring them to God. Instead of making decisions that I think are best and that are wise for myself, I'm turning to God. And if you've done this at any time in your life, I'm sure you admit that it is a fantastic feeling, that it is so freeing to do that, that it's a weight off your shoulders. You can cope better, you can think clearer. Uh, You can make decisions with God as the focus and not as yourself. It's a relief to know that every single moment of every single day that we have a sovereign, loving, wise God that is there to help us if only we ask him. As I was writing this, two little songs that I used to sing in Sunday school came to mind. Uh, that I won't sing, but you might recognize them or know similar ones. Uh, The first is very short. It just says, and God keeps his promises always. We used to sing that every Sunday uh, in Sunday school. Second one is, trust and obey. Well, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's the attitude that we should take into life. And those are the things that we should remember every day. If you're trying to do a trust fall on your own, you'll fail 100% of the time. You can't fall, run around, and pick yourself back up. You just fall flat on your back. It's painful and it's embarrassing. When you do a trust fall with God, you'll be caught 100% of the time. You don't need to run around and catch yourself. God's never going to let you hit the floor. Though sometimes it's a long fall before he catches you. You fall into his arms. It's secure and comforting. And I know which one I'd rather choose. Please pray with me.
Lord, thank you that you are a sovereign, loving, wise God. We pray that we trust in you, that we depend on you, we feed on your word, and that all our lives acknowledge you. We know when we do, you'll make our path straight and refresh our bones. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Please join.